Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I am the Zach on the Film. Across from me is Stephen of Schleicher. One thing I hate about St. Elmo's Fire, all the damn white people. (laughs) Okay, and all the way across the internet is Matthew Peterson. No Springsteen is leaving this house. So this is going to be one of those movies that I believe Stephen and Matthew uh, can quote quite well. It, it was released. No, when, I never no? really. I never really. I watched this movie once, and I was like, no. I, if I never see this movie again, mm-hmm. it'll be too soon. Because Saint Elmo's Fire, uh, released in 1985, which would be what beginning of high school for you guys? I kind no, of I would have been sophomore, middle, sophomore, middle, yeah, middle, yeah. middle of high school. Mm-hmm. Same year as The Breakfast Club, in fact. Right, which is very odd to me when I realized that and I don't know this must have came <laughs> out after Breakfast Club in the release calendar because yeah. I was reading a review yes. of this and they reference Breakfast Club a lot but they surely half the have to is... because half the cast from Breakfast Club is in St. Elmo's Fire yeah. playing people yep. four are... years older right R- well I mean they John were Hughes actually recommended I think Judd and Emilio to uh, Schumacher when he was making this mess so, yeah. so after Breakfast Club, based yeah. on that experience. Breakfast Club, uh, five kids in detention in high school, St. Elmo's Fire, um, what, seven, six friends? Six dorks. Yeah. Six dorks after graduating college. So when you have Judd Nelson and Emilio and um, Ali Sheevy all in the mm-hmm. same movie, uh, it creates for an interesting look at how uh, characters, when they act their actual age, you know, but- look. They shake things up because they give us a little bit of an outsider and they give us a a, a little bit of a mannequin and they give us whatever it is Mayor Winningham was in. And, you know, it's it's slightly different. Yes. I guess there are seven of them, aren't there? Are there? Yeah, because there's Kirby and then there's Billy and Kevin and Jules and Alec and Leslie and Wendy. So there are seven primary characters in this. Yeah, so essentially St. Elmo's Fire is firing following these seven kids after they graduate high, uh, college. The first shot of the film is them walking arm in arm as they walk away from their uh, respective university's building. And then there's a car wreck. And then it's just kind of a bunch of, I don't want to say vignettes, but it kind of is vignettes of the interrelational uh, yeah. time of these kids after college and dealing with them all kind of hooking up with each other and getting first jobs and living on their own and um, doing drugs and drinking a lot and hanging out at the bar aptly named St. Elmo's. St. Right. Elmo's Bar, yeah. Yeah. Hence the name. Um, 
if if you ever get any guff from people saying Zach saying millennials are the worst and millennials are <laughs> ruining this and millennials are doing that, just say, hey, man, have you ever watched a movie called St. Elmo's Fire? Because I think you're going to find a lot in common between your complaints about millennials yeah. and these uh, these uh, these kids from from this movie. It was well, truly, truly a remarkable moment as a millennial watching this movie in the final lines of dialogue from a movie in 1985 is 20-somethings making brunch plans. Yes. They might mm-hmm. as well said, who's going to bring the avocado toast? <laughs> Let's never own homes. So this is also, this is another great <laughs> example of, a, of you know, of uh, white privilege in action. And, and what happens to the uh, upper class when they don't get their their dreams and their promises handed to them on a silver platter. That's, that's what this movie is about. This movie, that is not what this movie is about. That is literally <laughs> not what this movie. I, I, is about. I'm sorry. Which, which, which person, uh, who went to an Ivy league school, uh, is, is not having their, their is having all of their hopes and dreams and plans played out for them Wait, on the screen. Speaking of Ivy league school, does they, they ever, Actually, they don't say what, what city we're actually in. No, but I you have, assume imagine it's, like it's the northeast. northeast. Yeah, yeah. They the named colors. the university, and they I did? can't remember. They did, but I can't remember what it was now. Was it like fictional or is it real? Oh, it's, it's a Georgetown. Real university. It's Georgetown. Yeah, it was a real university, and I thought they were in D.C. Yeah, it's Georgetown oh, so University. Georgetown. Okay, but this is the thing. I mean, this is this is very important when you look at this movie. This is. It, Zach said it best. This is all of the stuff that people complained about millennials. These are Gen no, That's X what I said. Shut up. <laughs> These are the people that are of the generation that Stephen and I are. But the thing that's important to remember is the complaints are always the same. And the reason the complaints are always the same is because coming of age turns us all into little jack wagons. We saw this in previous movies. We saw it in Breakfast Club where they're all like, okay, well, we're a criminal. I'm like this. This is not a movie about people not getting what they want and having to have their privilege checked. This is a movie about the realization that as an adult, you don't necessarily get to go and do all the stupid crap that you thought you were going to get to do as an adult. This is a movie about coming to terms with your responsibilities. Is that not the exact same thing? No, what you're just saying, it's literally not. Okay, how, one, how, how so? One is the perspective of an old person looking down their nose and saying, well, these people are idiots. And while that may be true, if you remember being 22 and 23 and 24, everybody is an idiot. And that's part of the reason that this movie resonates for me is this is a movie about figuring out what in the world it is that your brain is about. And even if you are a facile little jerk, you're going to have to figure out how to be an adult on, on, on some terms. They won't necessarily even be your terms. So you can say to me that this is a movie about spoiled brats who aren't getting what they wanted. But really, this is a movie about people who have this conception, this teenage, this college age conception of who they are and who they think they should be coming face to face with the realization that they aren't, can't and won't ever be that person. So now who the so hell they're, are you gonna- they're they're having their their dreams shattered of what they expect to be handed to them after school, after college. Absolutely not. You I, just said that. 
I did not. You did. What did he say? Is, is he just repeating the exact same thing? Is he just going around in a circle or not, Zach? It's. Uh, I think you're both making subtly different arguments of that circle around the same idea of kids um, not understanding what the world is like. Nobody understands what the world is like. Adults don't understand what the world is like. And to look at this and say that they're spoiled brats who are having their precious little dreams, their little bubbles burst, is somehow to imply that we know better. And we really don't. And I think that is why I enjoy this movie. I won't say I love it. It's certainly not my favorite Breakfast Club chunk of movie, but it's in the top five. It's one of those movies that if it's on, I will stop and watch this until Demi Moore has her meltdown because that's uncomfortable and creepy and just way too 80s. For and plus, there's only like five minutes left of the movie anyway. Right. Well, I don't necessarily like need to see more. Rob Lowe get, get redeemed at the end. That's not the point of this movie to me anyway. Yeah, I saw this I, movie in like 86 and I was like, yeah, none of these people, none of these people know what they're doing and there was no there was no part of this movie ever that i sat there and said oh these are people that i can relate to because there is no way that i could relate to anybody in this movie really yeah nobody there is a there's a very i i i don't think any of these kids truly act like they're out of college, at least from I mean, my perception of out of college is obviously my perception of out of college and not the potentially like the normal out of college. But for me, a lot of their aspects of how specifically the guys acted was very uh, like junior in high school, which then I can relate to a lot, especially Emilio Estevez's character and being like a truly creepy stalker guy. Mm-hmm. And that's like, mm-hmm. Uh, a very high school like latching on to a girl you don't even really know that well and being super creepy uh but yeah there are definitely ideas in this movie of, of these characters that are relatable and, and understandable which yeah. is what makes this movie appealing my problem with St. Elmo's Fire in general is that I think it does try to redeem too much and mm-hmm. not uh, specifically the male characters of them being, for the most part, incredibly uh, chauvinistic, sexist douches who have no yeah. understanding of like women's uh, uh, authority and how they can like live their own lives. Yeah, that's a problem that you see. Not the 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 women thing necessarily, but the resolution and the wrapping up of things in a way too fast, way too pat manner. That's kind of a thing that you see in everything that I know. I attribute to Joel Schumacher anyway. So I I don't know if that's him as a creator, or if that's just stories that he's you know attracted to. But yeah, you get to the last few minutes of this movie, and even if you enjoyed the first part, you can just kind of tune out. I mean. It's it's not a movie that that has to have the the wrap up ending and that there's too many kids there joke at the end and it's just like no nah, I'm good I'll just I'll just flash out early it's fine yeah and but I and I think this movie would have been served a lot better if they would have done the real world thing and and said what they almost did like 
six-eighths of the way through this movie of they all weren't friends at the end. Because right. that mm-hmm. is a very real college thing. Like You made good relationships in college and you don't be you don't stay great friends after college because you change yep. and you like become like a political douche and you like steal this girl's girlfriend and you're like a stalker dude and you do like a lot of drugs uh, you break up friendships and that happens and there's yeah. and yeah having them come back together like that actually damages to me the stories being told cuz you don't yeah. you don't want like Wendy you don't want Wendy to be attached to her douche friends Wendy's the one who's trying to do good in the world, who's working at the homeless shelter, who's refusing her dad's, uh, you know, get a boyfriend and we'll give you one of our stores and you can live off the family money. You know, you don't want her to be with these people. And you're afraid of what's going to happen when Emilio Estevez actually gets a crush on, you know, one of the girls in the group and follows them around wearing a clown mask. It's creepy. Yeah, his character specifically rubbed me the wrong way the entire movie and how especially when he kisses uh andy mcdowell yeah is she Dale. from ghostbusters what's she from no, no. Uh, she's from sex lies and videotape nope um she's from a bunch of crap yeah not she, a whole she's lot very of familiar that. uh and he kisses her and then it's like i'm the stud hero i'm like no you are literally the biggest creep Almost in cinema history. I know why you know her in a Bill Murray context. Oh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog yes. Day. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Good job. She was also That's in Magic Mike XXL. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what Is else? She... she was in Footloose. She was in Footloose in the 2011 remake of Footloose. Oh, okay, the uh... terrible Footloose. I know she married Gerard Depardieu at one point, and she was in um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. But I always remember her from Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which is a great movie, and we should do it on this show someday. Someday. Maybe. But who knows? It it took how many years to watch uh, Not Star Wars? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, we still haven't gotten to Surf Nazis Must Die. Yeah, and we won't be doing that either. That's a long way to the never. Uh, so it is very interesting. Again, we watched uh, Rob Lowe and Emilio Estevez last yeah, week. Yeah, Rob Lowe, who got a Razzie Award for the Worst Supporting Actor for this film. They were doing Razzie Awards in oh, 85? Oh, Razzie Awards have been around for a long time. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. yeah. He he got a Worst Performance Award for this? Yep. Yeah. For Worst Supporting Actor. Do you think Rob Lowe was the worst actor in this movie? Um, That's tough. It is. That it is, is a toss. It is really a toss up between Demi Moore and um, uh, who we were just talking about. Uh, Rob Lowe. No. Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell. Is, oh, Andy McDowell. Wouldn't as hell. This is the thing. Even Judd Nelson isn't really excellent in this, and Nelson usually can inhabit a role. This just, I don't know. This feels a little bit too much like John Bender pretending to be grown up for me. Mm-hmm. So th- this is not a movie that you watch for the acting. Uh, with the exception of Andrew McCarthy and the daughter from Amen as the hooker and their long and involved, you know, chats on the street corner, which I think are supposed to be super important, but actually feel kind of superfluous. For, well, I don't know. and again, that's another real problem that I have with this film. Here's all of these white people. Every shot, white people, white people, white people. The only black person that you see in this film who has any kind of a role is a prostitute. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she is the the magical person who turn, helps him to turn his life around. So, 
you know, at least she's a, a, a recognizable trope, I guess. I don't know. And what a weird character development that was for, um, oh, what was his name? Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, Andrew McCarthy's Kevin character. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin. Kevin Dolan. So Kevin. I remember he, Mickey. Because there's, I guess it's a almost like a gambit throughout this whole movie of like, Kevin, it's time, you know, it's okay. Like, you can be comfortable with being open with your sexuality. Like, we get it. It's cool. And then it's like, we strung up in the whole interaction with uh, the prostitute is her being like, I just assumed like you were gay. And then it's like, nope, I'm secretly in love with one of our friends. Like, why? <laughs> Where did they think like this would be the good plot line to get around to this love story? Is we'll just like tinker around with his sexuality. You haven't heard character. of the, you've never heard the song Jesse's Girl. I've heard that song. Is it irrelevant to this? I think it's right on with this. Here's Maybe a guy that's in, actually listened to this. Here's song. a guy that's in love with Jesse's girl. He wishes that he had Jesse's girl. The only thing missing from the St. Elmo's uh, fire soundtrack is Jesse's girl, because that is exactly but, what Kevin McCarthy is, is doing throughout this whole film is he is in love with someone else's girlfriend yeah. and he can't express himself to come out and say, I like you. But I don't think that's what Zach is questioning. I think what Zach is questioning is the plot line where everyone presumes that Kevin is gay. And I think that you have to look at this from the perspective of, A, it is 1986. And so, you know, a movie aimed at youngish people in 1986, I think having an openly gay character would have, in you know, in the parlance of the times, made it a little bit more adult than what they were looking for. But this is a movie... That was made by Joel Schumacher, who has been openly gay, like, I believe, since the 70s. So, yeah, I think that that is an interesting question is, is that a way to have some sort of representation, some sort of admission that, you know, LGBT people exist even in 1986, even though it's not it's not true of Kevin, it's not germane to anything but it's in there. I think it, it may be like the, the scenes with that with the prostitute to try and give us some verisimilitude to the story. Well, Demi Moore's next door neighbor is gay. Right. That is in there. So I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah, I just I it is just a, a, to do that it, for three quarters of the movie and yeah. then to throw in his admission of love after. Ali Sheevy has been uh, wrecked. Well, and that goes back to storytelling and um, acting yeah. in that it needed to be supported a little bit more through the story that he is pining after her. I mean, you kind of get the sense because he's always hanging around those two. Right. Sure. He's always getting frustrated whenever um, Alec Alec shows up. He's yeah. Gets he you know he gets bored and leaves whenever they start having sex. So you can kind of see that there's that yeah. that this this love that he has for her is there, but it's not it's not brought out enough in the story. I agree, well, and I think it is interesting that I think Jules actually thinks that he's in love with Alec because of the closeness that he has to the two of them. Which again, I don't know. It's it's kind of an ambiguous moment. But I think that it is nice that he, I mean, he denies it, but he doesn't flip out about it. He doesn't act like it's a terrible slur upon his, his family name, which is a plus, I guess. Yeah, sure. It, it is just, 
Yeah, it's a weird. Odd it's to a me weird. That they would that, like you said, Stephen, that they weren't putting more in there to be like because he just continually talked about. I think like what a secret love. Yes, yeah, some secret some love sort, that he has, yeah. which is. Uh, I mean, the worst. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, the only thing that was missing was, oh yeah, I have a girlfriend. She's from Canada. You don't know her. That's that's what this this film needed. She it's moved a away, bit more and then that. she like died, so you can't call yeah. her and check or nothing. And uh, there is, I mean, so let's look at Rob Lowe's character who is bouncing around. She he's dating one of the girls whose name slips me because that's how I do. Well, he's show. dating uh, Mayor Winningham's oh, character, yes. Wendy. Wendy, sort of. While, while he's, he's married, married to... to another character who's barely in the right. film with a child, mm-hmm. and even right. when we're clearly set. He's with Wendy. He's like hitting on a bunch of other girls at Saint El- Saint Elmo's bar, and then uh, the whole Wendy thing blows up. And it, it was a it was a strange journey for what, Billy as he bounced around between the girls in the group and random people at the bar and uh, his actual wife. While not being able to hold down a job, it is it is confusing how this man actually graduated from Georgetown. <laughs> right, entirely based on charisma. <laughs> this is uh, he's know. the poster boy for uh, don't hate the playa. <laughs> to some degree, yeah. And she's, to be fair, she's in love with him. He, you know, he's he's a jerk to everyone, and she's still in love with him. So you're kind of like, okay, Wendy, you have bad taste in men. Yeah. He is very much just seemingly using her for, uh, well, money that she continually gets from her dad that mm-hmm. she leaves for him to mm-hmm. use. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that fine line of when, when exactly are you using someone just for their money? And I think about 20 minutes before the movie started, <laughs> <laughs> he also has a very, Oh, childish, weird, sexual, assaulty, rapey vibe scene with Demi Moore when they're both uh, hammered drunk and she needs a friend and he decides, yeah, but what if you give me a blowjob? I think that would make at least me feel better. I'll put your keys down my pants and uh, go around with you. Uh, So that was not the most comfortable of scenes to watch, which is uh, most of this movie, I guess. <laughs> that's a, that's there, an understatement, there, Zach. There are some definitely uncomfortable moments to it. That I think is probably, if not the worst, the second worst part of it. it and it's, I think the worst is when he when he you know traces her out to her cabin and ends up spending the night in in um, Andy McDowell's cabin. Oh, and then you know sticks his tongue down her throat, and takes a picture of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty bad scene. Also, because that, when they actually looked at the Polaroid, that was clearly not yes, taken from the from same angle. I was right, saying, right. which was just also just like wildly confusing. Yeah, and uh, you know that's and again that the scene with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore gets back into the weird thing. It could have been more powerful, I thought. But after the scene's over and Demi gets in the car and drives off, we just hang around with Rob Lowe because it's like, oh no, Rob, your wife saw you with this other girl. Oh no. Meanwhile, uh Demi's character is uh, you know, driving off after one of her good friends essentially, you know, tried to assault her and uh doesn't really care about where she is in life. And we just gloss over that fact so we can have 
a potentially emotional scene with Rob Lowe's uh, weird earring and hair. <laughs> Which, and again, like I read it earlier, that's my biggest problem with the scene is like we try to redeem the characters. Rob Lowe. We try to redeem much. a lot of these characters that really shouldn't, we shouldn't try to be redeeming. Well, it's, I mean, Emilio Estevez's character is the same way. I mean, stalker dude just brushes it off and is like, hey, I kissed a girl. I scored. I'm going to go back and be a lawyer now and see who I can stalk next. Um, Rob Lowe's character, as you've already mentioned, uh, Andrew McCarthy's character. Again, he's he's maybe even worse than the Emilio Estevez character because Andrew McCarthy has been stalking the girl that he loves secretly and quietly for years. And then when she's like, I think we need to be friends. This is just like a one-time thing that just happened. He's like, oh no, we need to be boyfriend, girlfriend. She's like, no. And. Oh yeah. They're like the last, again, 10 minutes of the movie when they tried to resolve that relationship between him and, uh, she and Nelson Mm -hmm. is just so odd and not handled well at all. Don't you think we can all three be friends? Sure. Okay. <laughs> and then what they're really thinking is, oh, we'll just give it a couple of weeks and then she'll be with me or she'll be with me. Mm-hmm. That's what they're thinking. And it's just that. Man, that is so cynical. Well, look at them. They're both thinking that as they're walking away. Well, sure. But I mean, if you, this is the thing. We are tearing this movie apart because of things that either were bad to begin with or haven't aged well and moments that I think work. I actually so like what's a, the what's an exa- what's an example of something that works? The ending part where they're both like, "Hey, you love me, right? Hey, you love me." And she's like, "I'm not dating anybody right now." I like that. I think that that works really well. And that stupid moment on the fire escape where Rob Lowe is all like, "Hey, sweetie, it's just St. Elmo's fire, man. It's just electricity in the clouds and all like that." That works for me. That is really, really, really cool. That feels like the kind of bullcrap that young people would think is really philosophical and deep. And yet somehow it works. It reaches her. It, it hits her on the level that it pulls her back from the edge of whatever it is she was doing. I guess trying to freeze to death in her living room. But Yeah, I guess. That's, but that's the thing. That works. That narratively actually kind of pulls that scene out for me that works really well and i have to admit i like the point where wendy realizes that she does not want the screw up no matter how beautiful he is and he's like well let me give you going away present she's like okay and he gives her the going away present and she's like yeah i'm done with you you're out goodbye now i i kind of like that wait you was the going the going away present was the sex right yeah that was also weird (laughs) No, no, no. She didn't want to be a virgin anymore. And it happens, and sometimes you just, you deal with that. It happens. I don't know. It was kind of weird. No, it was really weird. (laughs) It was, like, weird. It wasn't so. So you thought the better moments of the film were actually the ending. I feel like there are moments that emotionally resolve little bits and mini arcs. And you're, you're describing it as a series of vignettes, actually is perfect because I have no idea how long this movie takes place over. It feels like it's uh, got to be a year. It's about a year. It has to be a it's year. It's a year. Because they do season yeah. changes very deliberately. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And you get, I mean, you kind of get to a point where you're just like, all these things are happening and they're all leading their separate lives and they're trying to stay together and they really need to stop trying to stay together. But there are moments that actually feel like they have some emotional resolution. And like the moment where Rob Lowe and, and Demi Moore are talking and he's like, all these terrible things are happening. There wasn't even a St. Elmo. They just made it up because they needed something to keep them going. You know, that worked for me. And I, I think that as much as I complain about the we need to give him a redemption arc, that moment, if you take it away from the fact that 20 minutes before he was assaulting in her Jeep, that moment works in and of itself. And I think that's the biggest problem with this movie. There are lots of little scenes that you know that the actors had fun with and that they loved that were really pretty well crafted and put together. Dinner at Wendy's house where mom whispers bad things. Where'd you meet? Prison. Yeah, that was a pretty good scene. That was a pretty good scene. That was a good scene. And it, 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 it was like two minutes of good in the middle of 10, 15 minutes of, wait, what? He's chasing her into the mountains? This is like a horror movie. And now we're stuck in The Shining and Emilio Estevez does not look right. He yeah. looks he looks like he's twenty pounds heavier in this movie. But besides that, the the jarring fade car screech cut of the beginning from walking from the <laughs> yeah. the building to their friends having a drunk driving accident. I mm-hmm. thought the first scene at the bar was pretty good. It was funny. It was light. They made uh, pee jokes about ice and urinals, which sure. is which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tastes better. They catch Emilio, you know, they, they rat their friend out to their boss because he's drinking on the job. Uh, that was like, that was a fun, I don't know, four minutes, something like that. That was a good time for me. Uh, mm-hmm. The dinner bits, scene was good. Bits and pieces of it are good. Even the moment where uh, the, the businessman comes home and, and finds Rob Lowe holding a party. And he's like, Kim, you were supposed to be home tomorrow. It's it's doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of sense or meaning or or actual consequence in the film except as an example of what a big screw-up he is but just for those few moments that you know that music video director trick of let's make three minutes of this absolutely compelling it works and then you get back into something that makes you hate everyone and everything in the movie so you know yeah it's it's interesting because when schumacher was trying to pass this movie around trying to get get it made yeah uh, he said, quote, a lot of people turned down the script. The head of one major studio called its seven member cast the most loathsome humans he had ever read on the page. <laughs> it's not a bad description. He uh, exactly. Schumacher had to interview hundreds of people <laughs> to try to get them to uh, be in this movie and turned him down. Really? Yes. That's a, I mean, I, I feel like. Who in the world was he interviewing before he landed? Like, the, uh, let's the see, top, Anthony Edwards. The top. Anthony uh, Edwards, Anthony know, Edwards, uh, Leah Thompson, uh, that we've she already seen big... before. Yeah. Um, other, um, you know, as Matthew said, the, uh, Estevez, Nelson and Chidi came from recommendation from John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, he had to push hard to get the studio to cast them. And even before the movie began, they had to get Demi Moore into rehab before they could shoot. Oh, in real life? Yeah. See, oh, that's too bad. That's that's why she was able to play the, you know, the cocaine addicted alcoholic girl so well. I don't know. Or maybe too well. Probably too well. Here's the thing. At the beginning of 1985 in February, yeah. uh, Breakfast Club came out. It was really, really good. And a lot of people were like, wow, this is really good. These kids have a lot of things to go through uh, and, and a lot of potential in their careers. 
And then not six months later, this movie comes out in June and suddenly everyone is like, these kids can't act. This is, I mean, this is the epitome of what the brat brat pack is. This is just, this is just awful. And I remember uh, watching the, the interviews and the behind the scenes stuff, because really the only entertainment outlet we had was like uh, entertain um, entertainment tonight. And I just remember people just panning this left and right, just saying, this is a horrible movie. And I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to see this in the theater, but it ended up on a VHS tape yeah. and I watched it and I was like, wow, I can really see why everyone's saying this. Don't you think, I think this movie suffers from something we see a lot now in Hollywood and it's like throw all of the celebrities against the wall and hope 10 stick. And then we'll try to make like $80 million yeah. on a $50 million budget. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this movie felt like. It's like, let's take, let's try to get all of the hot 20 something actors and we're going to throw a script in where they each get exactly 34 minutes of screen time. <laughs> each, yeah. And they each get four scenes by themselves or paired with one other person. So there's only two people on screen and it'll be fine. It'll be. Uh, you know, kids out of college and they're all doing their thing and there's the writer and there's the weird political guy and then they're all doing like drugs and it's, it'll be fine. They learn something at the end. Uh, <laughs> that seems like the weird elevator pitch that Schumacher tried to give ahead of a studio and be like, but it'll, we'll make a lot of money because they're famous. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we see that I don't yeah. know, every other month right now in our theater with how many people you can put on the screen. Right. Yeah, I just I just saw something the other day that I had never sat down and watched, and I can't remember what it's called now, but it's got Liam Neeson and Hugh Grant and like literally everybody British in it. And Professor Snape is in it, married to Professor Trelawney, but they're having, you know, weird problems. And there's oh. like fifteen different stories. What is that? Oh God. Oh, it's the Love one with, Actually. Love with love the actually. cards and they do the yeah. 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 And, love and, and Bill Nye tying it all together as a rock star who promised to get naked if his hit goes to number one. Mm-hmm. And it's one of it's you wouldn't have that movie or, you know, Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve or whatever. All these pick a holiday and throw 50 people at it. Movies are without St. <laughs> Elmo's Fire, I believe. So at the very least, it's got that going for us in terms of its legacy. Which is not great. And eh, I, wh- what what do you think makes <laughs> the Breakfast Club succeed where St. Emil Fire fails? Well, okay, so it, what is lacking is um, self-realization, right? So in the Breakfast Club, at the end of this movie, and they all say it in their in the in the letter, they know who they are. Mm-hmm. They've been stereotyped, and they know that everyone is going to look at them. As the stereotype, but they also know that they are more than that stereotype and they're going to survive and they're going to get out of the stereotype that anyone decides to put them in. This movie, uh, all of the kids are self-absorbed and they don't realize what their problems are. Uh, They don't realize they don't have a self-realization of who they are, what they are or what they want to be. And at the end of the movie, they still don't. And that's where the two movies really differ from one another. I disagree, actually. I think that the weaknesses of this film are the same weaknesses of The Breakfast Club. And I think part of it comes down to an oversimplification of both the character and the arcs. I feel like 
the treatment of the female characters in both movies is equally problematic from a 30 years later perspective. And I think that coming out of the breakfast club and thinking that any of those kids have their crap metaphorically more together than anyone coming out of this movie. I I, I think that that's a seriously rosy outlook because you know that Bender and Claire are going to come back to, to school on Monday and try and support a teenage relationship that is literally going to melt down in their face. But I feel like part of the reason that breakfast club works better is because you get kind of inside the characters you get more of of an internal life you get more than just that surface level emilio Emilio, for instance in breakfast club seems to be this meathead jock but he has hidden depths and he has you know regrets that he can't talk about because that's a weakness and weaknesses for losers emilio here is an overconfident dickhead who does overconfident dickhead things and at the end of the movie hasn't learned anything has you know traced a woman and her boyfriend out into the wilderness it, you know he's like literally one pocket knife away from being a serial killer and at the end of the film he feels like he's done all right because he kissed her and she didn't stop him and i think the difference here is everybody's arc here is pretty pretty superficial even the moment where you know jewel starts out as as seeming to be this weird richie airhead girl and then we see that she really is you know she has feelings and she has a heart and she's hurt by all these things and then at the end of the movie what does she do she embraces that richie airhead thing again and talks about how she can you know bury her stepmother mother in a uh, cat suit and then take her to the the pet cemetery and i'm like Everybody in this movie at the end, once you've gotten through and they're like, okay, well, we've wrapped everything up and everybody's gotten their little, their little bow and their little knot, they haven't really learned anything. But the weaknesses of character are roughly the same here as they are in Breakfast Club. And I think Breakfast Club is probably more coherently and better written in terms of the actual conflicts and dialogues. Well, so. that's certainly true. The, the script differences, I think, are drastic. Which oh, yeah. The, Very much so. Yeah, the unrealization of what their deeper problems are in each character in St. Elmo's Fire is ultimately a downfall because, like you said, Emilio's character in Breakfast Club acknowledges mm-hmm. his front, who he is deeper down, and why they can't always mesh at the same time. He is still stalker number one mm-hmm. from the beginning to the end of this movie. Uh, it the They try... I think with uh, Rob Lowe and Demi Moore's character be like, we have, you know, addiction problems. We're going to overcome them. And then they don't necessarily. And it doesn't ever seem like they really make a good, you know, right. they don't ever at it. Just, yep. No. Uh, Judd Nelson's character never acknowledges his, uh, the, the misogyny, easy, the, yeah, misogyny certainly. I mean, but that's what's. That I mean, that's just blanket his, his... throughout most of them in, in every male character in this movie, of his willingness to throw away his ideals and morals that we've roughly established that he had in college, so that he can make more money and have a bit bigger couch. And they never really took the idea, the time, because there was none to delve into his 
uh, unending pursuit of more wealth and influence and what that can actually do to a person because we had to deal with how, uh, you know, every other character on the film and we couldn't individually dive into like, why do you make these decisions really? And what, Mm -hmm. how are you going to be a better 25 year old than you have been a 24 year old or a 30 year old (laughs) and going on through your life? And that to me, like I think we've all stated, is the downfall of St. Louis of Fire because you don't actually think in three years any of these people are going to have any better grasp of like themselves or their place in the world and what they actually want to be doing. They'll probably all still be like, don't you remember the great times we had in college <laughs> and we did the cool things and we and let's go, let's go, you know, do some coke and drink at St. Elmo's is how I feel like they're all going to be, and they're like thirty-four based off. The but no, they're going to they're going to go to oh, oh right, sorry, oh god, I forgot that. Oh no, you're right. That is the emotional development. We're going to go have mo- to we're going to get day drunk at brunch Abs- instead of right. night drunk at a pizza bar. We're gonna we're going to basically we're going to erect a facade of adulthood <laughs> in front of our same destructive behaviors and. Just, I'll give them credit. They really tried to create characters who had flaws and feet of clay and who had issues that could have been addressed. But what the movie really does is it sets those up as like their hat. Here's your hat. You're the you're the wild child uh, crazy guy. You're the one who's all stupid and got a girl pregnant and now you're married and you don't want to be married and you've got all this. But then it's just, hey, look at this cool hat. And then at the end of the movie, the realization that he has is, oh, well, heck, that sure is my hat. But they don't Mm -hmm. actually address it. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of points in this movie where they could have done more emotional stuff or they could have done things that might actually have taught the character something. But instead, they went for those feel good moments, which admittedly those feel good moments are the things that not five minutes ago I was saying work for me in the movie. So I'm not saying that I was not successfully manipulated by the Hollywood gloss of the bits and pieces of this movie. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of hard to get away from. It's hard to look at a moment where Rob Lowe is being legitimately adorable and go, yeah, yeah, Rob Lowe, you sure are right. You but, sure are sweaty in that scene where you're playing a saxophone and <laughs> dripping your sweat all over everybody sitting in the front row. Hey, and when that saxophone keeps playing, when you take your mouth off the reed, but it, it, it's one of those moments where we never get past that surface level. We never actually delve into, well, what, what's, what's the deal? What are you going to do about your addiction, Billy? I'm going to move away to another city. That'll fix everything. Great. That's an excellent answer until you think about it for less than 30 seconds. This And that's that's kind of the problem. You get to the end of this and you're like, these are all excellent responses until you think about it for about 30 seconds. This movie failed where I think, and again, it's not completely fair to compare, uh, I don't know, I'm going to guess a two-hour movie to... Uh, 110 minutes is what this is. Yeah, close enough. So to a, I don't know how many seasons Girls was show, but I think Girls is like long serialized version of St. Elmo's Fire, where it's like millennials out of college who have no idea what the hell they're doing and can't <laughs> like manage their lives at all. And but set in 2000 and like 11 to 2017, there is 
<laughs> the characters at least always call each other on their shit throughout the entire show. In and girls or in girls, okay. they are constantly. And if and if a character's not doing it, the show itself is calling yeah. out these people for how narcissistic and insane they act and destructive mm. and they can't put anything like a two sentences together without destroying someone's life or a friendship that show does what i wish say almost fire was if just like someone has got to be like you are acting like a freaking moron <laughs> at some point and if well, because every it, the well, movie should every parent we see in this film are enablers oh well, how many parents do we only see? We see Wendy. We see Wendy, and, and he's an enabler. Yeah, not who else like, do we meet? Not good. He's like, hey, why don't you stop having a career and be right. a married woman? Right. Uh, we hear about um, uh, Jules' uh, mother and father and father. Father, yeah, who yeah. enable her by not being around. Right. Um. That's probably it as far as the parental figures. But you're right. There's no parental figure here to. Give you know, there's not even a sage bartender uh, who can set Emilio Estevez yeah, right to say, would, "Hey, kid, you're 20 minutes what? late for work. Why where were you?" I got a personal thing from to Boy Meets World, the more prevalent character in this movie. <laughs> I am so glad that there isn't that character because, yes, I I I can see the the problem of these characters careening through life, but having that sage older character would actually be just another. You know, moment of Hollywood cliche that's, oh, gee, thanks, Mr. Frassum Stassum. We're all straightened out now. That that would not help this movie. That would, in fact, hinder the the parts well, of it that actually work. But then, then, of course, you've got the problem of not only are the parents enabling the bad behavior, but the characters themselves are enabling the bad behavior in each other. So, like, Andrew never pulls Kirby aside and says, hey, man, this is really weird and not right. You should stop doing this, mm. right? <laughs> nobody does that. They're just like, well, okay, I guess if you're going to go spend a bunch of money on a lunch, uh, go right ahead. I suppose if you want to go chase her up to the cabin in the woods, uh, go right ahead. Uh, here's my car. Go right ahead. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's problematic, too. Well, they're young and they're stupid. Young, stupid people don't always call their friends on their crap. But they're young and stupid, and it's like, let's celebrate them for it. You know what I mean? That's uh, the problem with this movie. Is like they, I don't think the movie, no character calls out any of their characters throughout the movie. And the film itself, through music and editing, is saying, these are the heroes. They're making fine decisions. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. That is, I mean, mm-hmm. Amelia's scene is insane, and they portray it as he ended up on a high note for this movie. And that's not like a commentary. I feel like the movie with the music and how they edit it is he did all right for himself. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's more of that, the, you know, the Hollywood crap. That's the, we have to, we have to give him the happy ending. We have to do that moment. We have to have the expectation that just coming up to a girl and saying that you love her means now she actually has something that she owes you. You know, that that shows up in a lot of movies and we have a lot of the the I'm doing creepy creepy things, but it's okay because at the end of the movie she's totally into it and kissing me. Uh especially in 80s flicks, uh, especially in 80s flicks aimed at this kind of demographic, but I don't know if this film celebrates them 
so much as it says, hey, they're kind of doing the best they can with what they have, and aren't we all screwed up? And gosh, let's all enjoy a nice brunch at Hootlehands. I don't know. I never know nothing. I like what uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times said. St. Elmo's Fire is most appealing when it simply gives the actors a chance to flirt with the camera and with one another. When it attempts to take seriously the problems of characters who are spoiled, affluent, and unbearingly smug, it becomes uh, considerably <laughs> less attractive. Is that from their, like, 85 review? That is from the 85 review. Yeah. That is beautiful. I think that is that is appropriate, and that is exactly <laughs> where the great parts of this film come in. So, And there are great parts. There are, like, nine of them. end our Rat Pack era with St. Elmo's Fire. And we're moving on from Emilio Estevez and Rob Lowe and the like uh, as we venture on forward into more Zach on film territory. Isn't that right, Stephen? Yes, we're starting with horror films as we move uh, through the end of September and into October in our hiatus. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be fun times, Zach. Um, which is appropriate because uh, it just had one of the largest... R-rated mm-hmm. box office uh, weekends uh, right before we recorded this. Yep. And uh, so how scared am I going to be next week? I can't remember the movie we're watching. Next week, you probably won't be too scared, but you might uh, roll your eyes and say, oh, look at these cute little kids and what they tried to do with their film school project. But you have to keep in mind, this was the first time this oh, had been Jesus done Christ. Is it Blair with Witch the project? Blair Witch Project. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Oh, don't you come at the witch project. The problem with this movie, not with this movie, of this string of movies we're about to I promise you after the Blair Witch Project, the next horror films get increasingly much better. But the the thing I have with horror movies is I have this love-hate relationship with it where I feel like I've missed out on very influential good cinema because... uh, me know what bad dreams <laughs> so. we'll be prepared to have bad dreams then yeah especially next week at least one of these you've already seen so um and oh, maybe two of them because after blair witch we have get out yeah which i think you've seen i've seen uh halloween Enjoy. no the ring no uh it follows no you haven't I, seen that no, oh, that's, i wanted to watch you're the one that was like it. steven we need to watch this film i this heard was, it's amazing it's so great it's amazing and then we wrap it all up with the omen <laughs> Uh, at the very end. That's the thing. I hear so much, specifically in like the last like four years, that there have been really good horror movies mm-hmm. made, and I've watched one, and it was made this last year. What, the <laughs> invitation? Get out. No, oh, get, get out. out. Yeah. Oh, invitation. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you should watch Unfollowed. Yeah. yeah. No, Unfriended. That's what it is. Um, Blair Witch Project next week. So on next Zach week, on film. Uh, I'm very interested I'm to psyched. see how it goes. Uh, so I'm that's psyched. next week on Zach on film. In the meantime, head over to Majorspoilers.com and give all of your thoughts on St. Elmo's Fire and any of the topics we have discussed in the podcast posting page you can find over there. While you're also browsing the site and you think, hey, I need to make myself feel better, I will do some shopping. And I will click on that Amazon.com link and I will find uh, a Blu-ray version of probably Blair Witch Project. I don't know. They probably I think like there is. Or at least, nothing, at least right? the new... The new updated Blair Witch Project movie yeah, you that know, they did. That's probably. Oh, yeah. Witch or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You can Blair find Witch, yeah. all of your horror movie favorites over on Amazon.com. Oh, Blair Witch is in Blu-ray. Hey, look at that. It's not going to cost you any extra when you use Mm-mm. that link at Major Spoilers, but a little bit of that purchase money 
will come back to Major Spoilers to help podcasts like this continue week after week after never-ending week. Uh, you can also help by joining the Patreon, which is always a great way to continue helping this. Yep, patreon.com slash spoilers. Sign up, get access to behind-the-scenes stuff, extra content, original art, so much more. And uh, again, small monthly contribution keeps us going for months and months and months. That's patreon.com slash spoilers. Thank you so much to everyone who signs up the Patreon. Use the Amazon.com link. We are watching Blair Witch Project next week on Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.